Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm an untamed homunculus. And with us today, we have a special guest. This is Josh of Rise Up Comus. How are you doing today, Josh? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for of coming. Course, absolutely. I have been so excited about what we're going to talk about today for so long, because I've been just seeing it on Twitter for so long, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But for those that may not know, um, who the heck are you, and what are we talking about today? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm really just an upjumped blogger, um, but I have a game coming out next uh, year called His Majesty the Worm. Um, it is a game about, I mean, it's a you know one man's uh, testament to his own folly. You know, it's about mega dungeon exploration game with a focus on the human elements. It has uh, tarot cards as the randomizing element, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, like like I said, I've. I feel like I've been seeing something about His Majesty the Worm for as long as I've been on Twitter, and I know it hasn't been that long. But how long have you has this been in the works, and have you been talking about it? Because I know I've been seeing it on Twitter a bunch, and I've downloaded the appendices a lot. But I just recently actually got to the blog and realized I have so much to read, which makes me very happy. Um, but how long has this kind of been in the works? Yeah, I mean, so. Uh... I think like a lot of people that are in the TTRPG space, uh, this isn't my day job, uh, which is, you know, I, I'm sure my boss would be very mad that I'm on a podcast during my day job to talk about it. But, you know, I this is, uh, a, <laughs> please don't, uh, you know, this is just like, um, you know, this is a, my hobby project, my passion project. Uh, so and, and these things have a long tail. Um, it, actually printing words on paper is, difficult time consuming expensive so i've been at this for a little while i started writing the game uh seven years ago or so um and uh you know just like hammering away uh eight hours a week on sundays uh so yeah i've been uh yelling about it for a while because it is itch funded i'm not going through kickstarter for funding uh so what i did was to kind of get people interested uh and see if this had any traction and see if we could like raise funds for all the things that I know that I cannot do layout and art um, and editing and things like that. Uh, I put chapters of the book as they were coming out uh, with some pretty simple layout and some public domain images on itch. And most of them are free uh, or you could get them free if you signed up from a mailing list or, or had a pay what you will. And people were kind enough to, come through, throw me five or $10. And using that method, I paid everybody that worked on the book to uh, contribute stuff. So it's, it's taken a little while because I had this kind of like long form method of crowdfunding, uh, but it's you know, kind of finally coming out. So it's coming out next year uh, in Q1 from Exalted Funeral. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Cool method. So I I guess, yeah, I guess the question is why? Was it like, what what made you want to do that? Was it just so you could put stuff out as you worked or was there a specific reason you didn't want to go to something like Kickstarter as, as you know, someone who hasn't put out like a ton of stuff already? Was was that like a factor that played into it or was it just about putting out the appendices? Yeah, I think Kickstarter is terrifying uh, and is very scary as a space and... Uh, is a, a tremendous amount of work. And I like writing games. I'm here to write and play games that I l enjoy with my friends. 
uh it is like i said a hobby and it's something i don't want to like lose that joy about right um kickstarter i, I has like i have some some feelings about it especially as like larger more successful and established companies essentially just use it for like fulfillment um you know they put out essentially like a 99 percent finished project and they're like oh please back us which is you know not you know competing with companies like that is very intimidating for a guy with not a lot of things out right now right um so i i wanted to do a non-traditional route for a couple reasons but the the main one was just i'm here for the love of the game yeah I mean, nice. that's fantastic. Like you said, a lot of a lot of bigger companies are really using Kickstarter now as like a like a pre-order storefront, not exactly. as like a I need your investment to make this thing happen. And that's shitty. But Kickstarter's making money, so they don't give a shit. Yeah, um, I don't care. So uh, you know, teach their own. But this is the this is this is great. Like that's these are the kind of projects that we definitely love to find. And um, you know, the first time I I read through the first appendice I read was or the appendix. Um, I read was the um, uh, sword is um, sorcery is a sword without a, mm. a, a, a hilt. Mm. Like just it's so good. And when you get through all the rest of it, I guess. God, there's so many questions. So to start, it seems like a very like table heavy and procedure heavy, but rules light system. Um, was that the intention all along to have people i know there's anti-canon aspects to it to have it be kind of like a build your own and then go with it or what was um and if so like what was the impetus to like choose that kind of path forward so is the question like you know uh okay. i want to make sure that i i'm answering it right let me let me um, say it in the way my brain works so it's not an osr game it's definitely a very right. you describe it as like a new school with old school sensibilities game it, it uses tarot um it uses a ton of roll tables you build out your own mega dungeon as you go um what made you want to go that route um as opposed to kind of like the standard osr and or you know dnd light game yeah okay uh got it um, I love the OSR. I, you know, like I said, I'm an upjump blogger and I got into blogging, uh, you know, just when it stopped being cool, the, you know, I was kind of there for the last gasp of G plus, which is, uh, you know, I think most people in this audience probably are, are deep enough in the nerd lore to get it. But, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when, you know, there's the social media platform that, fueled this rpg movement in the uh like the teens and aughts um and i was there just in time to see it die and i was like oh these people are talking about the coolest stuff they're everybody was so inventive and they were sharing their their content which was i mean just i, I mean it blew my mind it, I, I thought it was such so much more creative stuff than everything at my game table and i played rpgs forever um, and these guys were having the experience uh, that I wanted to have, and I I really was uh, getting fired up by their their big ideas. So I started a blog, and and it was throwing little things out there to be part of this community of people that had an idea, committed it to paper, and uh, somebody else took the idea and ran with it, and somebody else took that idea and ran with it, and there was these iterative processes as you can see the layers of strata as like things moved and were passed around around blogs so like i i started playing osr games at that point um but when i was writing my own system you know i i was 
making the game that I wanted to make with my friends, and I certainly can and do play OSR games, but I'm also always tinkering with mechanics. I think they're interesting. I like game mechanics. I like thinking about them and, and playing with them. And I like to play different games because of them. The, the mechanics of a game have a different texture, have a different grip. Um, you know, it feels different to, uh, just to, you know, do run through different procedures. If you are in uh, D and D and you're making a roll to attack and a roll for damage, uh, that feels different than an into the odd game where you're not rolling to attack, you're just rolling damage. And that feels different than a world of darkness game where you're rolling attack and damage and defense and armor. Like all those things have a different texture at the table. So I'm like, I'm interested in that. So I wanted to play with the game that I was like kind of just had in my head. Um, and I've always done that. I've, I've made games for my friends uh, so that when we end there, I mean, I've just been uh, blessed with a real indulgent, extremely kind friend group. We're like, yeah, we'll play your, you know, your little uh, heartbreaker. And, and, you know, oh yeah, it's just like, a, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's very indulgent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, after I had like made this game, I was like, well, what does it take to show somebody that's not just my friend, right? Like, how do I show somebody that's not sitting at the table with me? And what do I need to write down so that they can play it too without me hovering over their shoulder and explaining it to them. It's like, oh no, I see why you said that, but actually you can't do that. And it's like, you know, what do I, what do I need to figure, do to do that? So this was my attempt to do that. I mean, damn, I can tell you right now, just based on the appendix, you did a really good fucking job. I mean. Thank you very much. Um, so why tarot? Uh, yeah. I, okay. So uh, the top level is in the, you know, I was talking about how I think mechanics are cool. I think card yeah. game and then, you know, there's, um, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I say there's hundreds of, of games that use cards as a randomizer as kind of their main dice alternative um, out there. And I, and I think cards are really cool. Um, I like them because they are persistent. Uh, you can have hands of cards. They will stay on the table. If you put a card down, everybody can like reference that card. They have a gaminess to them because you can draw three, put back two, play from the top of the deck, the bottom of the deck, reorder parts of the deck you can. They're informationally rich, especially tarot cards. You know, they have mm -hmm. suit, they have number, they have direction on the table. So there's a lot of stuff there to play with. And, you know, I could have made a, a playing card game. Playing cards are 25 cents at your, I mean, Kroger. Uh, but tarot cards look kind of metal and they look kind of badass and they had this like arcane feeling to them and i don't use them for anything else but gaming but i think they're cooler to look at they're more interesting in my hand so i just was like yeah okay yeah tara was the what i'm gonna go with this time hard agree there's something just so much more magical about like i mean because I, I have a few playing card like role playing games and then i think i have another that's tarot based and it's like mm -hmm. yeah pulling the tarot cards out feels a lot more magical you know yeah yeah yeah, one of that experience that uh, my mom forbade me from playing D&D for, right? Like in the 80s, she was like, no, you can't play D&D. &D. And I'm, now I'm like, yeah, because it looks like this. Because yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, really I, leaning into that. I, I remember oh. as a kid, um, like just thinking tarot cards were really cool and asking my parents if I could get a set. And then like having to go talk to my pastor about why I'm not allowed to have a deck of tarot cards. And now I have like 10. So, yeah, exactly. you know, thanks, thanks, mom and dad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really interesting the way that they're used in um, the all the different appendixes as a really as a generative tool. Um, they're not because so. 
from everything I've read so far, I've seen hints of like what combat is like. Maybe in the the blog post that I haven't got to yet, there's a little bit more talking about that. So I don't know if they're more built into the mechanics that way. But from what I've read through the appendixes, um, a lot of the um, like dungeon building aspects are really like you can literally flip a card and be like, guess what? That's where you're at now. Or um, uh, especially in like the magical ones and stuff as well. Like the tarot are so associated with um, pretty much everything that you can do to build a procedure and stuff like that. So was it difficult to take that or did you kind of take the like the numbers like major arcana, minor arcana, suits, numbers and went, OK, I have this many numbers to work with. This is how I'm going to incorporate it. Like what was your kind of process for choosing how to use the tarot into the various procedures? Yeah, good question. I, I think so. I mean, really. In a in a in a very very basic way, the cards are are just a randomizer, and I think they have some like additional gaminess that I mentioned. You know the that that come up in in different rules, especially combat. Um, but really, really, you I mean, and and there's a, a sidebar that explains if you don't have a tarot deck and you just have some playing cards, you can you can do it in a pinch. Um, I think some people are interested in tarot games because they're interested in tarot reading and they think that the tarot reading aspect is an important part of gameplay. And, it, and it's really not. It's, uh, and, you know, I, I still hope that they want to play the game and stuff, but like that is not the intention of having the tarot deck. Um, you know, really it's just, a, it's just a randomizer. Um, but because the randomizer is persistent, you know, you can in the same way that, I mean, dungeon stocking procedures what comes next in the dungeon is as old as DD itself um because the your little randomizer is not just use looking up uh tables and rolling and writing down what you see you can lay them out like it has like this additional fun element um i think that uh there's a, a kind of like play that really thrives with dungeon crawling and that requires some upfront work and then the end of that work for a GM. Um, so when it, when it comes to building a dungeon, I think that it takes a you know a couple Sundays of work. That's how I made the dungeon that I ran for for five years uninterrupted play. Um, a couple Sundays of like thinking, what's in this dungeon? Uh, what do I need to put there? What's interesting? What are interesting challenges? What makes for a fun game? And I I you know wrote all that stuff down, all that stuff that was in my head about what I think is fun. I put down on paper. And if you do that for, you know, a couple Sundays and you have a, a, a answer these like series of questions, 20 questions, play 20 questions with yourself, and you can make a, a pretty decently sized dungeon. Um, and then you, your work is done. You know, I think that there are some games that thrive on like, what are my players going to get up to this week? Oh, well, last week they did this and now I need to plan for this and I'll stat this encounter and I'll build my encounter. But, oh, there's some bollywogs will be over here. But like once you know what's in the dungeon, it's in a real space, you don't have to prep ever again. You just have to front load that work. So that's what the tarot cards were doing uh, in that section for me, right? Like um, it was letting you kind of get that work out of the way and uh, like think through what a, a fun dungeon looks like. But I mean, they're like, they're used in all, all sorts of things. Every mechanic has the tarot cards integrated in them in some way because there's no other randomizer on the table i like that you really like 
drive home that use as a randomizer all the way through, even to like beyond just play, but like prep itself. Um, I was reading through the, you know, the building, the um, uh, mega dungeon or dungeon seeds. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed like the concept in, in your approach to this like thematic and like use space, this like space that has a logic internally to it. Um, I really appreciate it all the way through. It was cool to see. Yeah, cheers. Um, I, I think that a, a, a blank page when you're prepping for a game is, is very intimidating. Yeah. If you have a book that has uh, some prompts, some randomizers, like some of my, my best work has, as a GM, I think, my most interesting challenges, dungeons, encounters, have been because I had a random table that I committed to using. I, I like this table. This is good. And then like a uh, something that I wouldn't have come up with my myself came out of those results. And I'm like, well, how did how does this work? And the answer of like fight like fighting through my initial like, wait, I don't, I don't get it. The answer when I fought through that is better than the stuff I could have come up myself. So that's what I wanted to provide, you know, provide would-be GMs and players like uh, and you know, not, not all it, tables that you see for RPGs on the internet are particularly interesting. You know, 1D20 dungeon dressings, and it's like table, chair, box. candle, box, ground <laughs> sack. Like those things are, 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 you know, a dime a dozen uh, and probably creative exercises to like kind of like bang out, but um, not very useful to me at the table. So getting some random tables out there that are interesting and generate cool results and are actually fun to like play with after you put them all together is was important to me. Do you see like so? I mean, this might be a two-part question. First off, do you think about people themselves releasing like third-party content for this? And part two, like, where do you see that sliding in? Because I could definitely see people making their own like Dungeon Seeds book that has their own like generation um, stuff. Um, yeah, the the first page of the end papers is a a, a big bold text that says, uh, except for the fact except for the art, which I uh, don't have the rights to reprint. Um, please repurpose and use everything in this book. Print it at Kinko's. Uh, you know, make copies for your friends. Uh, unless you are, like, just selling it on the street corner, like, a, I mean, even then, I, how mad could I be, right? Um, if you were just, like, <laughs> printing new copies and, like, selling them on the street corner, like the, like the pirate DVD guys, how mad would I be if someone was actually doing that to my game? Please use the game however you want. Please put out third-party content. And you know, once the game is out, you know something that I'm I'm trying to generate right now, while the game is going through fulfillment, are tools to do that. I want to I want to make this as easy as possible. I want to talk to you about it if you're interested in it. I want to like play test it with you. I want to edit it for you. I want to give you a, a an InDesign file with all the styles set up so that you can like just plop your content in and, and publish it. And I want you to make as much money or as little money, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'd, I'd love uh, to play this game with other people. That'd be really, really cool to me. Very cool. Yeah, it's funny because on, I, I think at least two, is it is it three of the four? I think at least two of the, um, no, three of the four, uh, the beginning part literally says, copyright is a joke. Like permission is granted to do whatever. <laughs> it's like AI yeah. stealing all our shit anyway. So, you know. Um, I mean, I came out of this, you know, like I said, you know, the OSR movement in the blogs were just like, I, 
the most powerful ideas I've ever seen getting passed around and getting better for it. And um, if, if I could possibly contribute to that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's like I said, I mean, just the, okay. So question, I, my brain almost went in a different direction. I don't want it to. Why his majesty, the worm, like, where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, it's an illusion. It's a literary illusion. Um, there's an uh, Italo Calvino book um, called The Castle Across Destinies. Um, and in that book, uh, you know, it, the, the premise of the book, that there's these pilgrims traveling through a wood, kind of like um, the Canterbury Tales, maybe. And they find that they can't speak. Um, so they take a tarot deck and they tell each other stories, their backstories, by laying out the cards in these certain patterns. Because, you know, the game has tarot cards. I thought it was a kind of an apt illusion. And the there's a it's from a quote from there where the king is being led by his jester into a, a graveyard and the jester points towards an empty grave and says, here a majesty reigns greater than yours, his majesty, the worm. And I thought, I thought it was so evocative and cool. I, I pulled it out immediately and put it on, you know, my word document. Yeah, no, it really Very is. Cool. It, it, there it's, it's a title that you feel has so much more in it than just four words. Like every time I've seen it, I'm like, what is this? But it feels so, I don't know, like almost esoteric or something. There's some, some like medieval aspect to it that just, I don't know. It, it, it's definitely um, intriguing. And like you said, it's very evocative. Um, and it's a, it's a great title. And the logo is great as well. Um, it's just all around. Um, just good, uh, just good job. I don't even good know what stuff, else to say sometimes. Know? It's just so good. Um, uh, <laughs> thanks. I mean, again, I, I can only take credit for so much. I think that a lot of the the design work Pete Borless, uh, my graphic designer, did to to make this thing look good. Um, the the logo itself is is a piece of public domain art. Um, it's in the the front piece of uh, John Bauer was uh, a turn of the last century Norwegian painter. And in the front piece of his book that I have, uh, he has this little like worm logo. And I, I fell in love with it as soon as I saw it, kind of in the same way that I fell in love with that, the title from the Calvino book. I just pulled it out and I was like, this is, this is worth keeping. So hmm. as far as, I mean, like I said, there's so much of all four of these appendixes that are out right now, the appendices that are out right now are... Um, I don't want to say roll, but they're tables or lists or just like a lot. It is the, that is a lot of very creative, very good writing. And is that what like has taken a lot of the bulk of the seven years, or like what's your process for sitting down and being like, I need to come up with these like crazy, awesome, like maleficence of the wastes? Because like my brain goes, all right, I need to sit down and write dark stuff for my dark thing. And I went, uh, blood. Okay, so I'm stuck now. You know what I mean? Like what, like. Do you just like read a lot of stuff and, and you're just like, oh, that's cool. Let me take that. Or do you just sit down and like try to get the mindset or like, you know, what's what's the process for coming up with? I mean, because if the book is as big as you say it is, these appendixes are scratching the surface of it and there's still so much in them. Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, one, I'll just say up front. Yeah, I think reading and regurgitating is all art is. Um, but, but my process for like writing this stuff was... I wrote a, a a vast bulk of it at a at a. I started the book when I was at a job that I was bored at, and I just wrote like all day, every day. I was like, oh, nothing else to do. I have a word processor and free time. Um, 
and then there was a you know th there was a, a question it was like how do i get stuff out of my head and onto paper in a way that somebody else besides me and my friends can use so trying to like think through that right like what are the things that i do at the table that are just you know the assu that assumptions that i have and how do i make those into like kind of like knowns and raise those as subject matter to be talked about uh whether they're um you know how sorcery should interact with the world or how you build a dungeon or whatever and i tried to like think through that and put it onto paper um so i had just like you know it the my notes document was just like a bunch of kind of unrelated essays about how i run games and and how you should run games if you wanted to run them like me i don't know if you do but if you did um and then i turned all of that over to my editor uh, another person that i think deserves a lot of credit um melody watson um she did a fantastic job um and you know as somebody that wasn't in my head she really helped me figure out like okay this came out of nowhere for me i, I didn't under i had i got to the end of it and now i get it but like we need to introduce these things in a different way these are unrelated essays. Um, so that was, you know, the hard work of, of taking all that stuff and, and putting it into a format that is digestible, easy to search, easy to understand what's all in it, where you want to go and how do you get there. Um, but it was really important to me to put out a full game. Um, and I think you can have a full game on an index card. I think you can have a full game on a one page PDF. But if you, if I'm, if I'm selling like the snake oil, right? That mega dungeons are fun. You, and that's a hard sell. I think a lot of people have bounced off of them. I think some people have had bad experiences. Um, I, if, but I'm, if I'm going to sell that sake oil, I need to like really put out everything that you need to do it. So, you know, you could have had this. And I, I in my first days of writing this, I really thought this was going to be multi-books, uh, kind of bind them together, sell them together in a, a box set. But the it was practically... Uh, it, it was unfeasible for like printing reasons. Um, right. the MS that was like $200 and I didn't want to make an unachievable book. So by binding them all together, it's really like multiple books, right? The GM's book, the player's book, a sample adventure, uh, subs like magical subsystems that you can play with, um, a bestiary, everything that you would want from a kind of like robust uh, system and it was just the the lowest price point that I could sell it to you for was if I put them all into the same book. We appreciate that, honestly. Um, yeah, very very humane of you. Very nice. Yeah. I would have bought it regardless, but like yeah, yeah Ryan would buy nice it regardless. But I, yeah. I, you know, I appreciate it then. Yeah. Um, so. Playing the game, I know you just said you're talking about Snake Oil and Mega Dungeons and stuff. Like what? So I, I'm definitely one of those people that have bounced off Mega Dungeons. I have I have some. They're mm -hmm. they're great to read. But as far as like playing in the Mega Dungeon, like what about it it like makes you want to play that game? Um and like you know, you talked already about like um giving people the tools so that they can play it as well, but like what what is the impetus to make that the style of this whole game? Yeah, Mega Dungeons were my white whale forever, you know. Um I think I think my first mega dungeon experience, well, I had a lot of campaigns that were like, oh, cool, this is Undermountain and the DM has like 
500 maps and I know that there's a thousand rooms I can see them and the campaign lasted one session and, and we quit. I mean, so many, like so many games. Um, Classic. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the real Dragon to Slay is scheduling conflict. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Mega Dungeons and White Whale forever. It was like the, the core of the of the fantasy role-playing experience that I like had this vision about ever since I started playing when I was 12. Um, and it is, it's difficult to pull off, but there's something really captivating there, both at, like in the themes um, of just this, um, you know, in the OSR, they, they call it this mythic underworld, this space that is magical, inimical to human life, um, uh, you know, mythological. Um, there's something that's just appealing that, that, I, that I just like. I, mean, I don't know why I like the color green. I don't know why I like Mega Dungeons. But when it comes to playing them, there, there's something that is, I think, really fun there. And it's there's um, a persistence in the gaming world that comes about going back to the same place and having an adventure location that is big enough, robust enough that can, can withstand this. You know, it's not a dungeon that you clear after a couple sessions and then leave and never think about it again. It's a dungeon that you, okay, I, I know what it is. If you guys played Metroidvania games where you yeah. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you like, you know, the you're exploring and you see um, a door on a ledge and you don't have a, you don't have a way to get up there. And you're like, well, I'm gonna have to come back you to haven't, that. You haven't unlocked double jump yet. So you have to go back to the other place. Totally. Um, and yeah. or any, a number of other things There's like a mega dungeon is a space where you aren't just going through kicking down doors and and leaving forever you're going through and you're like huh i don't know what to do about this door yet and that's okay because there's a million doors this other way and then you know a couple sessions later you're like wait a minute i've seen this symbol before and you have this aha moment and you're like okay well this symbol can be opened by this key that we got you know and i haven't seen it for five sessions five months and like, let's go backtrack. And there's like these aha moments where you're like uncovering new things through the dungeon and it changes because of the things you did. You started the fire that like swept through rooms 131 through 163. And now those are like charred husk and you defeated the lich from level one. And now level one is safe and you can like start a little bit lower next time. And like, you see these people that have played with me for a couple of years and they, they have this memory. They have these memories from play and new players are coming in and they're like, okay, when we're going through this room, the thing that you're going to have to remember is like, we can't, we can't speak out loud there because there's uh bats with sonar and they can hear you. But like, if you're totally silent and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't. And like, there's these like generations of players that have learned and explored and conquered this dungeon. I think that is so satisfying, um, both as a player and a GM. It, it really, really uh, is, is, gratifying to watch these things happen to this to this thing that i just made like you know over the course of a couple uh weeks of like writing down ideas and stealing dungeons that i liked and cobbling them together with scotch tape man i'm trying to come play at your table come right. on over man uh, yeah i'll just fly over <laughs> 
Well, uh, you know, if you guys want to, we, uh, I would be more than happy uh, on the podcast or off to, you know, run some, you know, like yep. a one shot. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a yep. hard 100%. guess here. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, here's the thing. <laughs> I, I'm very excited to talk with you about this, but I can tell you right now, like the week this game comes out, unless we can somehow get it before, is the week that we're going to be reviewing it here on the stream. So I would also love to play it at some point. That would be fantastic. But that is that is what's going to be happening here. Um couple of questions. One uh, in chat, um, Ozo asked, like, what is your favorite tarot deck? And I think this is back from our tarot conversation, but I want to make sure I get to that. Do you have a, are you a Rider Waite guy or do you have just like a random deck that you like or what? Yeah, great question. I, so I have lots of decks uh, at this point um, just because I, you know, I, I didn't say I'm going to write a tarot game because I didn't like the tarot. So I have a couple of different tarot decks. I think they're interesting and, and kind of cool to look at. Um in terms of like beauty, I'm gonna look up the guy's name so I don't. Uh, there was a game I bought called Dungeon Solitaire, um, and it's played with a by Matthew Lowe's. Um, it's a it is a solo game, um, and you you play it with a tarot deck. Um, I think it is a, a very gorgeous deck. Um, when I am playing uh, at the table, I use a Rider Weight deck um, because I am familiar enough with it that I can recognize the cards at a distance. So there is like a little bit of a learning curve, I think, to tarot if you, um, you know, aren't super familiar with it and you're just getting started because you think the game sounds interesting. I mean, I have had some players at my table that like, hold on, what, what is this one? And like, oh, that's the page. And like, you know, it just takes like a second, right? Like, it's not hard. Yeah. It, it, but like, there's like a, like a half second mismatch between like seeing a thing and then being like, got it. Um, and because I'm so familiar with the Rider Waite deck, I can look at it on a distance. Somebody pulls a card from the other side, shows it to me. I don't have to like, and you know, as evidenced by my glasses, I don't see particularly well. So like, you know, I, I can I can visualize the cards really, really easily. Gotcha. Um, and then the other question that's going to end up being like a multi-part question is. So the middle question, to get back to the first question, because this is the way my brain works, like you talked about this mega dungeon, all these people going with it forever. Like what makes them want to keep going? And then I wrote that question down and then put an arrow back to another question that was like, okay, so then what's the, in the um, um, Phallos, um, the tarot appendix, uh, you hmm. say in there that um, uh, His Majesty the Worm has an anti-canon setting. So the city creation rules raise more questions than the answer so the setting itself is is anti-canon but is there a general lore to the world like is there like specific set of gods is the underworld the same and etc cetera, etc cetera? like what's the general like just of of the game's kind of lore and then with that if there's this giant mega dungeon what keeps people wanting to go into this dungeon as opposed to just being like never mind that seems tar terrible like i lost my ear i'm gonna go home now you know all right keep me honest i don't want to drop one of those uh the oh. their second two questions will be related but the first one um there's a there's a, i think a simple answer um have you ever like gone to a game and you know the the gm lays these things out and the players brought their little player sheet with them and they're like well my character doesn't want to do that my character likes this stuff and i don't want to do the plot i think that sucks um yeah. and i i mean i think that i generally play with players that are like a little bit better than that but I, i've I, i've seen it you know of course my life um in his majesty the worm every buddy every player character every adventurer has a reason that they want to go into the mega dungeon that they define at character creation and no normal people don't want to go into the dungeon it's bad they're a monster down there um and like just wanting treasure 
man, let me tell you what, there are easier ways to get treasure in the world than like uh, braving traps uh, and, and fast forward aging beams and medusas and stuff. Um, you know, get a farm, buddy. Um, but there's something in the in the mega dungeon that your character wants and you and the GM talk about it. And then the GM puts it there, which t tell you what, makes it easy for the GM. So like when the players are like coming up with their characters, like, well, my brother was turned to stone by a Medusa and I have to go find a Medusa to get their blood to like smear my brother to unpetrify him. I'm like, that's dope. Room 101 now has a Medusa. It makes my job a lot easier. And so there's... I, there's, I think there's. It's more fun. His Majesty the Worm shies away from like collab, a lot of collaborative like world building. When I go into Room One Hundred and One, and the players are like, I kick down the door. I'm not. I don't say, what do you think is back there, which I think are, is a very valid approach in some games. Uh, but it's not this game. I think that the the Mega Dungeon shines when there. I know there's something behind that door, and I know what would happen if you knocked on it, and I know what would happen if you poured water under the door, and I know what would happen if you left it alone. And the players don't. I think that's, I think that's fun. The the joy of discovery from Metroidvanias. But I do think it is really cool when players come up with their ideas for why they're going down there. And once their player achieves their quest, they retire. Um, unless there's another super compelling quest that has like captured their attention. Another brother fell down a well or whatever. Um, gotcha. But like that collaborative nature keeps the game interesting for me and 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 gets them into the dungeon without complaint. You know. Well, it's, you know, one of the taglines you have on this is that it's a, a new school game with old school sensibilities. And it kind of sounds like, and maybe I'm completely off base, but the the concepts of kind of the, the OSR were like the, some of them at least, where like the world exists mm -hmm. and it is it is almost as, as, as an eldritch being, it does not care that you exist. It exists and it moves even without you. Um, you are just choosing, and you don't make a story. The players make a, their own story through their actions and the way they can tell that and everything. Um, and then, which I really, I love that. It's more of like a referee. You're just like, this exists here and this is what's happening. You are, you're finding it. I'm not making it up for you. Um, but with this kind of like newer school, like tarot-based procedures and, and various procedures versus just like a, a you know, a pretty streamlined um, set of rules or whatever, that's a really... Um, I really like that mashup a lot. Like, it's really interesting to have these completely different um, system, but to keep those sensibilities, because a lot of people, that's the sensibilities that they like. There are people that, you know, that like 5e and like, you know, being the hero and winning every game and never feeling danger. And, you know, um, and I just I personally, that's not I'm not a fan of that. So it's really I, I'm excited that, you know, that is how this game works, that it's more of it all exists and you are just coming upon it. You know, it's not built for you. Well, God, it's, it's kind of you to say that that's a nice mix because I, I wonder if I haven't shot myself in the foot, right? Like, uh, it's so focused on dungeon crawling and has all these. I mean, I think if you have any of the OSR foundational texts, like um, the Principia Apocrypha, or um, uh, I'm dropping the name of it right now, but you know, all of those, all the advice there is is part of His Majesty's Worm in in its blood in its DNA, and the fact that I just don't have that OSR compatible system that everybody is used to and has their favorite and they can mix and match, but it's a new system and it's weird. And you have to buy a tarot deck. Um, it's like, it's too OSR for 5e players and too much of a new game for OSR players. It's the worst of all worlds loved by nobody. One man's one man's folly, you know? 
I think, I think, I think you'll be fine. I think, yeah. I think that's where we're at in 2023 is uh, the OSR will never die. But I definitely think there's plenty of people that are looking for things that are a little bit different but can still feel familiar. And I think that's what this, at least from what I've read, feels like. So I, th- I, think, you're, I think you're threading it all just fine. Oh, cheers. What were your, what was your other question? You had another question. You had, you dropped I, three so I write room. them down because I'm okay, never going to yeah. remember. So basically just the general lore of the world. You said that like oh, they yeah. they, people have a reason to go in, but like who, who are they? And like, what, what could be like a reason for that? Like, are they escaping the tyrant King or, or, uh, and, and where are they going? Yeah, I mean, so in, the, in my home games, and, and this is captured in the book, you know, I, I say stuff like this in, in little paragraphs here and there. I think I could have made a generic game. I think I could have, you know, stripped a lot of the lore that exists out of this. And I don't think the game would have been as interesting to read or to look at if I hadn't kind of been running this and just put the stuff that I do into it and then put some paragraphs right afterwards like oh you can ignore me if you want to you know this is just what i do but like i think that it would be more interesting if you did what you wanted to do um and and some some of my uh players have been like kind enough to include me in their games when they were running it too and they've had like these science fantasy worlds and you know this world where everybody was dead and in hell um so very different stuff than my games so i i you know stand by what i said that it's more interesting if you come up with the stuff yourself but like in the games that i run and this is reflected in a lot of the the kind of like italicized text near a picture um that there's like the city um it has constantinople vibes and you can create it randomly if you want to um using the rules of the book um but there's the city it's the it's the city the the center of the classic world all the the races and and civilizations um in this world uh, have like you know sprung up and died and like had their ruins subsumed by the next uh, terrible barbarian that becomes glorious civilization as they get to move into the center of the world, um, and so you know it has this place of history. And five years ago, a, a, a mega dungeon underworld opened underneath it, um, and exactly what that is, um, and exactly what the city's constituents are. Uh, I think that there are some tables there to encourage you to come up with that answer, but. Um, I, I suspect nobody is going to have exactly the right configuration that was mine. Um, but that's the gimmick. You know, the, the plot point is under the main city, there is literal hell and nobody does want to go into it, but there is magic there in a way that doesn't exist in the overworld. Um, so if you, and, and so if you want something that is magical, if you want to become immortal, if you want to cure your brother, if you want to slay the elder vampire and cure vampirism throughout the city, you have to go into the underworld to accomplish that. Mm. Um, to like give you a sense of like the last quest that we accomplished in my main classic vanilla His Majesty the Worm, um, during our kind of like the finish to finish our playtest, to give you a sense of what the quests could be. Uh, the last quest we did, um, there, one of my players uh had formed a relationship with a dryad um that was in the first level of the mega dungeon the, and the first level used to be this forested level um as trees grew from the lower levels and pushed their way up so that you were amongst the boughs of the trees and at some point in the game's history they unleashed a locust swarm that was in like a sarcophagus 
And then, then like over and over, I kept saying like, well, the locust swarm's going around eating everything. And they're like, dang, that sounds bad. Somebody should do something about that. And they'd go do something else. And eventually the, the entire first level is just denuded and the locust lich came to rule there. And so her dryad girlfriend, uh, you know, couldn't survive because everything was being destroyed by these locusts, by the locust lich. So her quest was to marry this dryad that she had met. And she defeated the locust lich and uh, got a magic item to carve her girlfriend's tree into the... What do you what do you call the statue that's not in front of a boat? What do you call that again? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like a, like a bow head or something? I don't even know. Yeah, I, I want to say masthead, but that's not right. I want. Um, but she carved her girlfriend's tree into her like figurehead, figurehead, to her pirate ship figurehead, and like retired from adventuring life. Her dryad girlfriend got to come with her to the service, and she became a pirate queen. Like those are the stories I want to be involved with, right? Like I think that stuff's neat. I want people to rescue dryad maidens from locust liches yeah yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah i'll take that game um <laughs> and you said that it, there's almost a, a generational aspect to the dungeon so as you bring new characters in is it just a series of um some stay some go and they just and they just learn as they go how many in the game you've had at home like not characters but like different players have you actually brought in that have like experienced the dungeon you know i played for seven years so um a lot of players um i i have one my, my best friend uh was played with us when we first started uh he had his first child uh, he said, "Hey guys, I have a kid. I I, I can't come to game every week." And I said, "Okay." Uh, and then his child grew up old enough that he was like, "All right, I can join game again." Like we played for so long that like I've had people get children, uh, you know, into the world and and into the through the toddler stage and start school before like we finished. So you know, yeah, I, I don't know, forty players maybe across the table, and like wow. sometimes just for once, you know, somebody would come in and be like, "Hey, this game isn't for me," but congrats and i was like um yeah great having you some people came in and uh moved away and you know i've just had a lot of a lot of fun uh just uh trying to loop in as many people in my tri-county area into like trying this thing it's awesome that honestly sounds like a dream a dream table to have is to just this this thing and how in that is the dungeon built like it's all done like it's all there and it's still going like did you do it like from the beginning and you're just like i still have like 300 rooms for you guys it's just been there forever and they're still trying to get through it or yeah I, yes um i think like i said i think the the gameplay really shines when there is pre-built content that the players don't know and the GM does know. And I think that that sounds intimidating, but actually isn't that hard. Um, because I think there are procedures, well, two things. One, I think that you can do what I did and steal other dungeons that you like. Um, there are a lot of creative people out there. And the dungeon that I ran for years was just like nine of them in a trench coat, right? Like just stacked on top of each other. <laughs> Stay uh, on each other's shoulders, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I think you can do that. And I think you should because I my friends put out dungeons that are cool and I think you should buy them. 
but two, I think that there's like some procedures and some questions that you can ask and some some random tables that I, I try to like make to help you to like get you through some things. Like really, it's just like answering the same sort of things like in a discreet way over and over and over, right? And then connecting the pieces together. So, I mean, it's not one mega dungeon, it's five dungeons that are connected in cool ways, right? There's a teleporter from level one to level two. There's a river of fire from level two to level three. And from level three to level one, there's, um, you know, a giant with a fishing pole and he's fishing for something and you can climb up his, you know, giant fishing line to get back up to the surface. Um, so it's just kind of making interesting stuff and then connecting them all together. Um, and if you kind of go step by step, that's the that's my premise. It's, it's really not that hard. It does take a little upfront work. Um, and I think that work is kind of fun. Like, it, I don't know why, why my brain is shaped that way, but, you know, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings to spend uh, two weeks uh, coming up with two levels of a dungeon uh, for my players. So yeah, you know, over the course of the time, they almost never went there were there were six levels in that dungeon. I don't know that they ever, except for like maybe once by accident, stepped into level five. And level six of that dungeon was hidden. They didn't know it existed. It wasn't on their maps. Um, it was in a hidden door in a, in a random room. And in it dwelt his majesty the worm. And his majesty the worm controlled the will of souls, which controls reincarnation and immortality throughout my entire setting. And they they found it. They were like, oh my God, this is the center of the maze. I, I can't believe this exists. They went through it. They got to Magic the Worm was like, never mind. It's not that important. I will leave forever again. And like just left. And that I'm perfectly okay with that because the look on their faces of like, hold on, has this been here for seven years? I'm like, yeah, this is where the guy lives. And they were like, oh my God. It was like, <laughs> that was that was worth it to me, right? Like that was worth the upfront uh, work just for the look on their faces. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah. I, was having, I was having a great time with that. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. It was. It was fun. I, I think a lot of forever GMs um, that, you know, we all say it with a sigh, but sometimes, you know, you're a forever GM because it's, you know, it's also fun. Really figure a way to turn prep into their own solo game. Um, and I think that's what really keeps it continuing to be fun and, and, and seeing what you can get people into or are the way that people are going to interact with the things that you do. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. That's why I'm not a huge fan of a lot of things that are like, let's, let's do like our, our two, two minute prep or whatever, or let's, you know, let's make the prep easy. Why do you do so much work? I'm like, cause I like the work. I don't understand the question. You know, um, there's a reason I do it this way. You know, that's because I want to, you know, if, if I'm struggling to, to, Oh, I don't have the story made up for tonight's game. Like that's not, you know, that's kind of the antithesis of why I do it. So, um, Exalted Funeral. This is coming out. It's been, it's, it's funded on it's all the appendixes and everything like that. How did that kind of come to be? Did you reach out to EF? Did EF reach out to you? Like what, what kind of, you know, whatever you're allowed to say, I know the contracts and everything like that. What kind of, what, uh, what got that ball, ball rolling? Cause I know you're, it's not going to, to Kickstarter it all funded through itch. Like we said before. Um, so what, what made you want to do it through, uh, EF? Well, I, like I said, there's a lot of things that I, I that I, I'm, I'm doing this for fun, and there's some things that I have no idea how to do. I do not know how to talk to a 
I do not understand the realities of printing. I've never done it before. I need somebody to help me. Um, I do not have a digital storefront. I was hoping to ride somebody's coattails to glory. Um, so, so yeah, I reached out to it, uh, um, Exalted Funeral, with essentially a complete game. Um, and I, I came to them with like a little book in my hands. I was like, do you guys want to help me print this? And they were kind enough to say, yes. Um, so they are going to handle uh, and are handling uh, even today. Uh, printing and distribution. That's awesome. Um, Very cool. Do you, do you have any, like Q1 2024, is that date going to get like narrower and narrower and then we'll have an announcement by signing up for your mailing list? Um, is that what, what the plan is? Uh, yeah, I, I, when I have a firmer date, I will let you know. Um, but you know, something I just didn't understand when I was going into this are like really the practical realities of printing. Uh, it is difficult. It is time consuming. Um, it is expensive. It is. And like, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, even with the efficiency of scale, um, uh, these things are just kind of difficult. So, uh, when I, when I have a crisper, idea when the books are ready in the warehouse and ready to be shipped i would love to tell you uh exactly exactly what day is um and if i if i hazard a guess today i will be a liar so you won <laughs> you won yeah i'll take it I, I'll, I'll take it we'll we'll see how it goes like i said i mean I, I i'm very excited for this um i'm i'm really glad that we got to have you on to talk about it i'm gonna continue to keep yeah, reading the appendixes I'm, I'm just I'm excited for the game to come out. I mean, this is great. Like I said, when when me and Hunter were talking about it, I shot him the Pinnacles, and he was just like, "Oh, oh yeah, though this is really cool." And I'm like, "Yeah, yep, we, we're this is this is the thing that we're going to be doing." He's like, "Yep, that's the thing that we're going to be doing." So that's great. Um, speaking of your mailing list, um, where can people sign up for that? Where can people find the appendixes that we're talking about? Um, where can people find just any of your stuff so that they can support you continue to to keep um, making this cool stuff? Yeah, um, I'm on Rise Up Comus uh, in most social media. Riseupcomus.blogspot.com um, has a bunch of stuff about this game and other pet projects. Uh, Riseupcomus.itch.io has the appendices. Um, most of them are free or almost free. Um, you can sign up to my mailing list through those uh, methods and any of the social media. I um, there is Rise Up Comus. If you'd like to chat with me, disabuse me of my uh, hubristic notions, uh, share cool stuff that you're working on. I'd love to chat. Love to talk about games. That's awesome. Definitely go that. Definitely sign up for the mailing list because I know that I bought Dungeon Seeds and then signed up for the mailing list and then sent me Dungeon Seeds and I was like, damn it. So uh, definitely sign up for the mailing list uh, before you uh, before you snag the game so you get one sent to you. Um, listen, seriously, I know we've said it a bunch and we'll continue to say it. Very excited for this project. It seems fantastic. Uh, I can't wait to have this in hand and, and to um, to give it a good review. Well, to review it and we'll see what we'll Please see. Please review we it. You'll see um, how you like it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And well, then well. Um, and then play it for sure. Um, but genuinely, seriously, really appreciate you coming on, taking the time, um, you know, from work and everything to to be here. I can't thank you guys enough. This was a, a blast and I really appreciate um really appreciate everything. Thank you so much. Great having you on. Yeah. Great to be here. And please come back once it comes out and we do the review. You know, if you're willing to uh run some games, we will absolutely be willing to play it. So we'll have to uh keep in touch. Oh no, I'm not lying at all. Let's um I will uh let's text right after this and let's just set up some time. Let's just set up a like an afternoon. Cool. All right, let's do it. Uh, awesome. again. I'm 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 beaming now. This is this is great. So, um, 
We are the Weekly Scroll Podcast. This has been Josh with His Majesty the Worm. Uh, you can find all of our socials at our link tree, and all of uh, Josh's socials will be in the um, in the notes, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube. So once again, thank you for being here, and uh, everyone out there, we will see you another time. Bye.